0: Hello, and welcome to the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and I'm one of the leading experts in online mediation. I have personally been mediating online for over five years now, and I have my own fully online family law mediation and coaching practice. Two years ago, after so many of my colleagues reached out wanting to know how I was doing it. I created the Learn to Mediate Online training program. And to date, I have personally trained thousands of mediators in how to successfully conduct their mediations through an online platform. As a leading figure in the online mediation movement, I am privileged to be on the cutting edge of developments and advances in online practice. And this podcast has been created to share that information with you. So tune in each week to get the inside story on how to mediate online. I invite you to now listen to today's podcast. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. And today I have an episode that is really going to be of interest to pretty much anyone who's listening right now. I have a very special guest. His name is Ted Brooks, and he is the managing partner of Litigation Tech LLC. And wait till you hear what he can do for you. Because as I hear from all of you, and as you're getting immersed in the world of technology, I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, well, can't you just come and help us do this in person, Susan, or beam in remotely and, and be our back end? And I uh, am like, well, that's not what I do. But let me tell you, that is what Ted does. And it's not that he started doing this just in the past, what, 10 months since COVID started. Ted has been providing um, both litigation support and legal technology services to law firms for over 20 years. Um, I imagine that his uh, services have maybe evolved a bit during the past 10 months. um, And we're going to talk about that. But first, I'd just like to say thank you, Ted, for joining us today. I know this is going to be a fascinating conversation.
1: My pleasure. Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So, first, I want everyone to know that I found you on LinkedIn, you know, the, the ubiquitous LinkedIn where I find a lot of my information. And I personally try to put out helpful information for professionals in our fields, uh, because I know that this has been a rapid change and sometimes confusing and stressful for people. And the way I noticed you is you are constantly putting out a stream of really great content around the technology of virtual trials, virtual proceedings, Um, All things virtual and and truly helpful stuff. So first thing I want to say to everyone is go follow Ted on LinkedIn. You're going to get a a great flow of daily, pretty much, information. Uh, But when I reached out to you and we were talking about what you do for people, I knew I had to have you on the show because this, this addition of legal technology to what we do as attorneys, as dispute resolution professionals has really been a, a difficult fit for people. And you're there really to be able to help provide support in a myriad of different ways. So why don't we start there with what, you, what litigation tech can do for people?
1: Well, as you mentioned, it has evolved somewhat um, over the years, although the, uh, the hurdle, the main hurdle has, uh, hasn't really changed much. And that is law is uh a profession that is resistant to change and new things and and oftentimes for good reason um you know there there are a lot of risks involved with uh with getting into new things and that sort um but you know essentially we uh started off well i started off in-house way back um with brobeck and harrison and uh uh, ended up going on my own as they were uh, winding down, and uh, my first trial was with them um, in house, and then transferring uh, eventually to my own business from there. Um, but uh, you know that that involved mostly the the trial presentation technology type of thing. So the trial tech, uh, you know, going to the court and helping with trial director and that sort of thing, um, evidence management, getting all your exhibits together and organizing them and controlling them and Displaying them to the jurors or whomever you know at the right time and and you know all that sort of thing the management and then along came COVID and everything stopped immediately and uh, I had some spare time on my hands as well um, so I immediately you know uh, dove in head first on uh, trying to figure out the best ways and best practices to make all of this stuff happen. Um, Got involved with the online courtroom project and that I was able to dig in deeper with that. And and now uh, a large piece of our business involves um, remote litigation, uh, you know, in addition to the, you know, the old school we go in the courtroom. Um, We're doing a little bit of that, not too much yet. So it's uh, kind of it's been a big learning curve for all of us
0: yeah well and a successful one i mean you have really sort of made that shift to helping professionals virtually so you're helping virtually and you're helping them to go through their trials, arbitrations. Um, We're going to talk about a fascinating international arbitration you were involved in. Um, And I do want to point out that some of the trials that you, large and complex litigation trials, um, and high profile matters you've been involved in, you were involved in the Los Angeles Dodgers McCourt family law trial, which was, that was, I I remember that one quite well. Um, Then there's the People versus Robert Blake criminal defense case. The Western MacArthur asbestos case and the Johnson and Johnson surgical mesh trial. So you're you're not you've done I know probably a myriad of more mundane or routine run of the mill. But those are I can only imagine the complexity of the evidentiary issues and uh, you know just technical issues that went with those. So your wealth of experience I'm sure has stood you in good stead as you've moved into this virtual world. Um, Now, I see, you know, I'm looking at the equipment that you have. For those who are not watching this on the video, I can see you there and you have set up behind you three screens. Um, I've seen a lot of your posts and you have remote setups. Um, Is that part of what you do when you're advising or working with, say, a law firm that's getting ready for an arbitration or a trial?
1: Well, absolutely. I mean, it it depends on what the... uh, you know what the format of the trial is going to be um certainly working you know we're we're able to uh, interact and have uh trial prep meetings by zoom now and and that as well but preparing for trial um you know a lot of the courts um still have their own uh internal courtroom rules as far as how you're going to try their their case in fact i heard just yesterday um new jersey uh courts are requiring to uh, you know, parties to go in and litigate remotely. Uh, you don't have a choice. So you know, so a lot of courts are giving you an option, and so then you have, you know, h- how do you want to do your case in person or remotely, or maybe hybrid? And hybrid actually seems to be the most popular thing going, where you have some people in the courtroom and some uh, appearing remotely. Um, from the technological standpoint it's the most complex and the most difficult because you're literally running two venues at the same time. But um, yeah, it depends on you know, where you're going to trial and what your judge tells you you get to do.
0: Right, well, and I would imagine that, so that's gonna vary state by state. And let me just um, ask the question, you work not just, I know you're located in California, you work on trials worldwide, in fact.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. we I mean, you know, I've always sort of based, you know, I'm, I'm located in California and I've always based my, my business profile and have haven't really tried to market hard outside of the state because I, I don't necessarily want to be traveling all over. Personally, we have people, you know, who work for me who do, um, they love to do it. Um, I I'm fine. Just, just hanging out locally, but regardless um, with with all of this now, yeah, I was recently uh, contacted by a firm in Miami, you know, complete other side of the country um, to help them. Uh, you know, with an international matter, so you know, there's there we don't have the restrictions um, that we had. I I can drive, you know, to my office or whatever. Uh, I don't have to necessarily fly across country to meet with you.
0: Right. Well, and that's actually one of my um, colleagues just said to me the other day when someone was complaining about tech issues being disruptive in a matter. And she said, well, I found traffic really disruptive to my mental health and my peace of mind. She said, I would much rather deal with a bad Internet connection and figuring out how to get on a hotspot than sitting on the 405 in L.A. (laughs) She happens to be out where you are. And, you know, I think about all the times I've sat in traffic late to court or trying to get home after a long day on trial. And I would say, yes, I would much rather beam in and deal with tech issues. Um, But for some people, the tech issues have been a major disruption in their world. In fact, I told you, I spoke to a practitioner just the other day who has not practiced essentially during COVID um, because of the complexity of adding litigation or adding um technology to their practice and they just were not up for it um, and that's where i i want people to understand there are there's assistance out there there are people like you who could come in and help them with their setup and how they might you know whether it be a mediation or arbitration or if they're going to trial virtually be able to help them from the back end get that all settled
1: yeah absolutely i i i when we were uh, beginning the online courtroom project, one of our members is a judge um, in Philadelphia. And he he said, you know, that all this COVID stuff, what's gonna be the real driver is gonna be the pocketbook of the attorneys who are trying to hold out and wait to go back to things in, in normal. You know, it, it, it hasn't happened. All the, all the predictions have been pushed by another month, another two months, okay, sometime in 2021. Now, maybe not even 2021. Uh, you know, the, the dates get pushed further and further away. Um, there, there have to be alternatives and there are.
0: Right. Well, and, you know, I heard that a lot in the early days. I remember being back in March and April and I was doing these massive webinars um, on how to transition a mediation or practice to an online practice. And, you know, I was getting five, 600 people at a time in those, but there would be people who would say, you know, I'm just going to wait it out. This is, you know, by by summer, and I'm talking summer of 2020, we'll be back in in our offices. And now I think people have really, you know, most of the people I will say that I talk to now a year into this or so uh, love being virtual. And I think that's going to be a driver as we, even as we move into the coast, post-COVID world, there are going to be certainly additional drivers or additional benefits that people have working virtually that they're going to want to keep that go way beyond social distancing. I mean, what you, we were just talking about, not sitting in traffic or not having to fly to Miami to work with a client or uh, you know insurance companies who aren't going to want to have to fly their adjusters around for, for mediations, arbitrations or trials. So I do think that we're going into a new post COVID world where services such as yours are going to continue and in fact grow in demand because we are now going to go into a world of what I think you just called the hybrid proceeding Um, and I do think that we are going to see a lot more of those where you have some participants who are in person and you're going to have other participants in the same proceeding that are remote. So, can you talk a little bit about the complexity of that beyond just the idea that some people are beaming in remotely? I mean, it goes be way beyond that from your end.
1: Yeah. So, pre-COVID, um, you know, if we went and we went into the courtroom and tried the case before the judge and the jury, um, what we'd do, we do was we would set up the courtroom, and or the courtroom may have technology already there. Um, we would bring our laptops every day and plug them in and, and uh, you know, present the evidence to the jury, give them something to, to uh, engage in visually, as well as uh, just listening to uh, counsel go back and forth, um, you know, take a look at the exhibits and, and the, the key points of those exhibits or testimony or what have you. And so that required a level of equipment that had to be brought in, Um, you know, the sound system and the projection system monitors for, you know, the witness and the, on the bench and then for counsel, so they can preview an exhibit before it's been admitted, can't show it to the jury yet. Um, And then if it's a high profile uh, matter, you may even have monitors feeding out to the gallery for the press and and whomever. Um, So that that's all sort of one system um, that existed and and uh, was necessary. So now to make it a hybrid trial, that same system needs to still be there because now you're still going to have people in the courtroom. They might be scattered around um, a lot differently. At least uh, now with the social distancing and what have you, you're going to have uh, counsel maybe uh, in the jury box. You're going to have you know m- maybe some of them back in the in the uh, in the gallery, wh- wherever um, people are scattered all around, um, you know, trying to maintain some some distance from one another um, during the trial, and then you want somebody to be able to attend by Zoom. What are they going to be looking at? So, what we've been doing one uh, one kind of format that works out pretty well is we put a webcam um, on the council table. So. The uh, the witness or whoever is attending gets the same view essentially that they would have in the courtroom. They get to look at counsel, and then if you put the screen um, behind that webcam, you actually get that human interaction, that eye to eye contact, because counsel are looking at the big screen. The witness, the witness is looking back at you know back at counsel in in essence, and so that that communication link um, is is completed, Um, whereas Otherwise, if everybody's looking down at their uh, desktop and, you know, they don't really get an opportunity to make that eye contact. So that's one of the other issues. Audio is certainly another um, because there are so many opportunities to have something called audio looping. And we've all heard it by now in Zoom. You know, you have somebody, two people in the same room have their microphone on. All of a sudden you get this ding, 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 ding noise. And, you know, everybody's panicking, trying to figure out, is it me? Is it me? Um, so that's one of the biggest, uh, you know, biggest other issues, you know, but it's you know, getting that public access, um, into the courtrooms is, is yet another, um, perhaps you're going to do web streaming, you know, or video streaming for that, or in uh, some of the cases I've been involved in, they've actually been doing audio only so they can call in on a conference call line and they can listen in.
0: Right. I mean, it's it's so complicated and adding all these permutations of having people remote. And you're just talking about the technology. I do want to point out for those who are listening, I'm going to have Dr. Deborah Dupree back. Um, she came and did the episode on building rapport in a virtual setting. But now we're going to talk about, you know, the psychological impact of having some of your participants in a proceeding in person and others beaming in remotely. I told you uh, while we were prepping for this episode, I've done co-mediations where my co-mediator and the parties are present in a conference room, and I call myself the great and powerful Oz, on the head floating on the wall on a TV screen. And, you know, the the psychological dynamic of that, if it's not set up properly, like you're talking about with the webcam and the monitor in the right place, is basically that the head on the wall gets ignored unless you're calling people's attention to you. So there's so much to this hybrid um, situation. But there were a few other things I wanted to talk about. Um, you mentioned the Miami case and, and you had told me about that. So that was a complex international arbitration. And can you just discuss some of the complexities around that that you helped with um, as te- with tech support?
1: So probably one of the, the biggest uh, issues or concerns we had was the uh, interpretation. Um, because we had people in multiple languages in multiple locations, and everybody needed to be able to attend and hear what was going on in their own language. Um, and uh, one way, uh, there, there are two different types of uh, interpretation surreal, and then um, uh, what's the other? Uh, <laughs> in any event, there's, there, there's, You can do a uh, simultaneous. So you can do a serial where this is what we would normally hear in the courtroom where you hear a person speak, uh, you know, say a sentence or whatever. Then you'll hear the interpreter uh, say it back to whomever they're interpreting to. And then you'll hear the response. And then you'll hear the interpreter say it back in the other direction to the other person. And it's, it's very slow. It takes a long time to do this. If you've ever, you know, been involved in that. It's
0: just I've been there. Yeah, it's It's like telephone tag, too.
1: (laughs) It's absolutely it's 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 hard to follow along. Um, It's very, it's very slow, a very slow process. Well, so in the simultaneous interpretation, it's kind of like the uh, United Nations thing where people have their headphones on. They don't hear everybody else. They only hear their own language. And this is literally happening at the same time the other person is speaking. So these are live interpreters. It's not computer AI or anything like that. And these are live interpreters listening and repeating what they're hearing, only they're repeating it in another language. And uh, as a result, I, I found out that they uh, only spend about 15 minutes uh, a shift before they have to take a break because it's so mentally Taxing um, to continue doing that um, over a period of time, and so that was probably one of the biggest hurdles. But it it actually went flawlessly. Um, it was it was surprised. I was surprised. I was amazed. It worked went very well.
0: It's. I know people that are listening are are their ears are are perking up at this because interpretation is something that I hear about quite often, or I get questions about. Now I would imagine that's a rather expensive service.
1: Uh, it's a, there are services, there are providers out there available. Um, one of them that, that we were using um, was InterpreNet. And they, have, uh, they provide interpretation for all sorts of languages. And um, what they did was they worked with us. We were doing the, uh, the Zoom hosting on the HIPAA platform, which also enables us to have this interpretation option um and you select whatever language you want to uh choose and and you listen to your own language and there was a a certainly an added cost to that and and obviously the hosting you know somebody has to do that they don't provide that they don't offer that service but we were able to work with them and so um coordinated that together so two different pieces um to make that happen but it worked very well
0: now i I uh, there are two things there that, that you just said that I, I do want to hone in on. One is the fact you've said Zoom several times, so um, I'm assuming that that is the main platform that you work from. Zoom.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's that's the platform we use by default, and if I'm if I'm hosting, um, that's the Zoom platform that I'll be using as the HIPAA compliant version. Um, however, if we're working with the courts and they have uh, WebEx or Blue jeans or or whatever else. Microsoft Teams. Um, different courts are using different things. Um, then we would, you know, sign on there as a uh, you know as another participant in order to help present exhibits or whatever. Um, but if we're hosting, it's we're we're using Zoom for that.
0: That's what I. I mean, it seems like I just ran a survey of um, the seventeen thousand or so people who have taken my mediation program online mediation program. And the, I mean, it was like 98% are doing their mediations or their arbitrations on zoom. So this falls right in line with what I, what I have found as well. Um, the other thing that you talked about though, is the HIPAA compliant version. And can you explain that for people? Cause I've heard from many practitioners that they won't use zoom because it's not HIPAA compliant. And so they'll use, um, I think it's, Go to meeting um, has a HIPAA version, but most people are unaware that you can get a HIPAA version of Zoom.
1: Right. So there is there, there's also a government version of Zoom, which is, to my understanding essentially the same thing as the HIPAA version of Zoom. but, um, but it, unless you're a member of the government uh, you know or, or somehow uh, servicing the government or whatever, um, you can't get that. Um, the HIPAA version, um, that's not real easy to get either, and it's also expensive, but it, it's available. And it, you have a better shot at getting that if you have a client that, that meets those uh, needs and has those uh, requests to, to do that. And the, the main difference between um, the two versions, HIPAA uh, and the government, in contrast to the, the pro or business versions or whatever, um, or that there, there is added encryption and a lot of extra added security. So if I, what, any meeting I host, um, you can't just join in You know, as, as, a, as a watcher from the internet. You have to go and log into your Zoom account, get authenticated, and then you automatically, by default, get locked into the waiting room. Um, and then once you are admitted, assuming you're admitted, um, we let you in, um, you cannot share your screen, you can't record, you can't do anything. There are a lot of blocks on that. And, and of course, the encryption, I think, was the main um, concern um, that the government had early on and a lot of other people were, they just think that they're saying it's end encryption, but really it's not. And so right. I, I know that they have improved on that, but yet the government and HIPAA versions are still a step ahead of whatever is out there and yeah. public consumption.
0: Well, I think, you know, I just was talking with Harry Mosley, he's the CIO for Zoom, and they have launched a beta of end-to-end for the pro account, but it's like in stage one of the beta, and it's very complicated. And by the way, everyone who's listening, it doesn't work with breakout rooms. So for those of us who, who use breakout rooms in our mediations or arbitrations, it's not particularly helpful yet for us, but you can pay up for the HIPAA compliant version. It's going to have these added layers of complexity um, and security to it. But what I always remind people of with that comes additional complexity, like we're talking about. I mean, you just talked about people have to go through authentication. They'll definitely be put in the waiting room. There's different levels of difficulty that are going to be added, not only for the host, but for the participants. So you need to take that into consideration depending on what your proceeding is. Um, for a mediation, that may be more complex than your average person wants to deal with. For an arbitration, certainly a complex arbitration or a trial, it's probably necessary.
1: Yeah, it, it, it also depends on the, uh, the content and the desired level of security. I mean, mm-hmm. if, you know, if, if, if you're okay with, uh, you know, whatever you're saying, and it's not that Zoom publishes anything or, or you know, or, or anything like that, but, you know, the HIPAA version, at least you, you know, that there is this added layer um, of security and encryption on there. Um, so if you're dealing with trade secrets or whatever, and you want to take that extra level, well, I mean, the medical professions, for instance, you know, yeah. they can't cross that line. And this is one step. Um, that they're able to certify that that it meets those that criteria, that criteria.
0: Yeah, which I think is is something every practitioner has to take into consideration, but also discuss the availability of higher levels of security that are available, know that they're available, and be able to offer them to your clients. Um, and so you know, one of the things I was just thinking about as we were sitting here. So, say someone out there is is setting out to do. A complex arbitration or a complex mediation—something that's going to take more than a day. We have multiple parties that are from all over the place. They reach out to you and say, "Ted, we need to—we need help." What would what would how would that look? What how, take us through sort of that process of what you would do for them so that by their time of their proceeding, a few months down the road, they're ready to roll.
1: Well, that's. A large question.
0: Um, yeah. If we <laughs> can topic. break it down into simple, it's sort of a simple process.
1: Yeah. So, I mean,
0: I initially,
1: yeah, initially, um, you know, uh, obviously Zoom meetings are are, are kind of nice uh, and you can kind of get to know people. I mean, you know, you, you used to meet in person, you know, sit at the conference table and and uh, talk about the case and come up with ideas and this and that. Um, that's not always an option now. Um, it still happens to some degree, you know, with a, a limited... Uh, limited amounts, but uh, in any event, kind of get a handle on what the case is all about. Um, Obviously run conflict checks and all that before we do get involved. But then, um, you know, from there, getting all of the uh, materials of the case, whether it's exhibits or depositions or, or that sort of thing, all added into a database that we basically take ownership and management of as we prepare for the case. Uh, assisting with graphics or you know whatever else uh, might be involved in the case and uh, potentially assisting with some mock trial or focus group sort of thing that would replicate um, the format uh, ideally that that the uh, trial is going to be in. if it's going to be completely remote, then ideally if you're going to do a focus group, you do that remotely as well. Hybrid, the same thing if you have that uh, opportunity. Although my understanding now a lot of focus groups um, are facilities are not allowing any in-person contact. So that may not even be an option right now. But then as uh, we get closer to trial, you know, basically we're helping uh, potentially rehearse things, you know, uh, opening statement or whatever, get all that stuff ready to go. And um, then the day comes and there we are. Hopefully we're all ready to to make it happen
0: ready to rumble so and but a lot of what you just talked about goes back to something that i i talk about a lot for you know even a basic mediation all the way up to doing trial practice virtually you have to practice i mean you talked about doing focus groups about practicing about doing the setup having everything ready to go you know are the, the, is that built into your process with your practitioners or with your clients that you're you're going to be helping people sort of prep for the big day to get ready to go with the, yeah. with the technology, I, I would say.
1: Yeah, in theory, yes. In uh, reality, not so much. Um, yeah, yeah, attorneys, uh, I'm sure you're well aware, are uh, generally pretty busy. Uh, and and uh, there are certainly uh, opportunities and, and efforts made to at least go over some of these things and see how it looks, see how they flow. Um, ideally, work with uh, some, uh, you know, some. If it's going to be remote or hybrid or something, if they're appear- appearing remotely, go over some of the personal appearance kind of things. You know, check your background, you know, and your lighting and audio and all those sorts of things. Um, so yeah, it it completely depends on the case and the team and and what have you. And and then again, I mean, I've done some for, uh, you know for some folks already multiple times now and, and we don't need to rehearse anymore we just know what to do i mean once generally once uh, you know once once that rapport is is uh, established we kind of know how each other works and and able to anticipate and and uh, minimal kind of uh, rehearsal or or that sort of prep would be required at that point
0: yeah well, and, and I think that's important, right? Because early days, if you're new to the virtual world, you're going to need a great deal more practice. I always tell people it is not a simple matter of just flipping open your laptop, logging into Zoom and go. I mean, there's there's so much more involved in being proficient in handling any type of a proceeding online. I told you I just recently logged into something and one of the attorneys that was um, was appearing in the matter, he didn't know how to use screen share. And so, and then didn't understand what it was when he did screen, when we finally, you know, were able to help him share the screen, he thought that was transmitting the document to us so that we now had it, you know, in there. And I was like, it's not a magic portal. You know, We so people please do a little bit of prep time. And if you're offered the opportunity with your litigation tech support, please take the time to uh, take advantage of that. Um, so a few things. What what do you foresee as we go forward into the post COVID world?
1: Um, I think I would concur with what I've been reading from a lot of judges, and and that is, um, you know this this thing has grown legs. We're going to be, uh, you know, it's it's not going to go away. The the remote appearances um, is not just going to get. Flushed, uh, you know, as, as soon as uh, we can get back into the courtrooms, it's going to be a part of it. And and the courts are also finding that things like hearings and stuff, they can they can knock out uh, twenty appearances, you know, in an hour. Whereas if they're in the courtroom, you know it takes a long time. Everybody's got to move up to the desk, you know, move up to the table, lay out their exhibits or whatever they're going to argue, and you know all that sort of thing. All, all the uh, shuffling in and shuffling out. Um, so you know that definitely uh, hearings and that sort of thing. Um, it's 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 going to stay. I mean I have no doubt about that. Um, and then remote appearances. Um, you know, fully remote trials, maybe not so much. May, maybe some potentially, but but remote witnesses, um, perhaps some remote counsel. Uh, you know, flying. You know, your expert in from. Uh, well, I'm involved in the trial right now. We have. Uh, you know, one of the parties is in Spain, um, and they can't fly right now if they That's wanted real. to, and so they're going to be appearing remotely by Zoom. So uh, there are. Just a lot of things that are going to keep, uh, you know, stay in place. I believe, uh, you know, with with the uh, remote appearances as we go forward.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just think we're in a new world as we move past this. The benefits. I always tell people the benefits of working remotely or virtually um, go beyond social distancing, and some of those will. It's not always going to be appropriate, as you as you said. Um, I, I would imagine things like jury trials in many ways uh, will be easier if we go back to in-person proceedings. But there are a lot of benefits to everything that you just talked about. And overall, you know, in the in the things, the actions that you've worked on, in the cases that you've worked on during COVID, what's the feedback you're getting from judges, from attorneys? Do they, once they actually participate, do they like the virtual world?
1: That's an excellent, perhaps my favorite question. Um, I can tell you that, you know, you, you, uh, I mean, you read all the publications about attorneys who haven't done it saying why they're not going to do it and why they don't want to do it and why they think it's a horrible idea, you know, or the webinars. I mean, they're, they're all saying the same thing. Say, like, wait a minute, you know, and then uh, you ask nearly any attorney who has tried it. It's like, hey, it works. It works great. I'd rather, you know, I would much rather, uh be able to see my witness or whoever face to face rather than looking at you know 30 feet away uh, with a piece of cloth and (laughs) and you you can't see them you can't understand them um so absolutely it's the feedback has been great and and i'll I'll add that the uh the courts you know a lot of the courts are uh, taking on uh, the technology role themselves and and uh, facilitating and offering um, in my experience, uh, uh more than once now, um, the courts have said, well, if you want to do it, you bring it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the short answer was yes, we wanted to do it. So we had to bring it. So we brought the entire, you know, the zoom platform and hosted it. And the court, uh, again, um, resoundingly has been very positive in their feedback in the experience of it. And, and the fact that it has gone extremely well.
0: Yeah, it's one of my favorite aspects that um, practitioners from, you know, younger practitioners who are right out of law school all the way up to I've had a few people that I've helped transition their practices who are in their 90s and almost universally, they love it. They have, you know, I did that survey recently and 100% of the participants in the survey uh, said that they plan to continue to offer services online post COVID, whether it be You know, the hybrid, some in person and some online or like me, a hundred, just a hundred percent virtual. I have a lot of people who have gone to a hundred percent virtual because they've realized it gives them the opportunity to live wherever they want to. Even if my, your area of, of um, licensure or practice is in, say, you know, the snowy north and you want to be a Florida you know, sunbird, you can go live down there and still practice in the north. So I do think our virtual world is here. I actually just participated in a um, demo of a virtual reality trial where we were all wearing the little goggles. And I have to say, that's going to be an interesting new twist on what we have coming in the future. And it's not that far away. So um, I, I really appreciate, Ted, that you, that you came on the show to talk about all of this. I think it's going to be an eye-opener for so many of my listeners. But how can people get in touch with you to find out about more about your services? And uh, don't forget people to go follow Ted on LinkedIn.
1: I would say that would be a, a, a great place to start. You know, if you want to uh, look me up and uh, connect on LinkedIn, uh, it's LinkedIn uh I think litigation tech, litigation tech Ted Brooks, something like that. You can find me Ted Brooks. I'll put uh, a link
0: in the bot in the in the show notes for sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and or uh, you know, my, my website is litigationtech.com. Um that have a little bit of info on there as well. Well,
0: Thank you so much. Again, everything will be in the show notes. I really appreciate your taking the time. We've been trying to get this scheduled for a while now. And I I know this is going to be, especially, I can just see all the questions coming in about InterpreNet. So I'll have a link to that as well in the show notes. So Ted, thanks so much.
1: My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Learn to Mediate Online podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, and if you liked this episode, please give me a five-star rating on iTunes and tell me what you liked in a review. You can join me each week to hear another episode, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. Send me your questions and comments at susan at learntomediateonline.com, And you can find out more about my trainings and programs at LearnToMediateOnline.com and MaustonGuthrie.com. I'll see you next week.